We are wrapping up uh, this series, our marriage series uh, today, and uh, I think the conversation that you and I are about to have, if it sinks in, if you and I can get it, may be the most powerful conversation that we've had the entire time, that if you could make the adjustments, if you could uh, turn some switches today that we're going to talk about in your relationship, the, the most likely immediate change within your relationship could happen out of this uh, conversation that we're going to have today. And we're just going to talk about how to have a great fight, how to just have an amazing, over-the-top, wonderful fight uh, with each other. And uh, what we're going to discover today is simply this, that we fight one of two ways. You, you when you fight, are going to fall into one of two categories. Uh, when, uh, some of us, when we fight, uh, we come to a fight like assassins. See, we're just, we're just swinging the sword, man. We're going for the wound. We're going to take the other person out. Take no prisoners type of fighters in our relationships. Some of us, uh, when we fight, are more like physicians, and we're looking for that which is sick and that which is wrong, and we're looking to get to a healing process when we fight. You realize both the assassin and the physician fight. One fights to wound and to win. The other one fights to heal and to restore, and you and I will always make that choice when we come to moments of conflict within our relationship. And what I want is just to kind of be honest and just absolutely point-blank truthful with ourselves to say today is, do I fight like an assassin? Do I go into this thing saying, look, I'm just going to take you down. I'm going to win the moment. You're going to relent. I'm swinging the sword. Or do we fight like a physician? who says, look, I'm fighting the disease, and this is all about bringing health to the relationship. This is all about healing in the relationship. Because today, I guarantee you, you're either an assassin or you're a physician when you fight. I'll tell you what, look, grab our Bibles. We've got a whole bunch that we're going to unpack together, uh, and you're going to get there. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you're not real familiar, uh, if you go to the back of your Bible and work to the left, you're going to find this book of Ephesians. And it deals with this conversation of how when we're in conflict, how when things were disagree, how do you deal with that? How do you have a great fight with somebody and actually become a physician and not an assassin uh, within that moment? Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 25. It's an interesting conversation because in this context, Paul's not specifically talking about marriage. He's talking about how we should treat one another, how Christian brothers and Christian sisters should treat other Christian brothers and other Christian sisters within the context of the church. But here, here's, here's my thought. If these are the minimum level, the minimum required ways in which you and I are supposed to treat a Christian brother, a sister at church, if, if this is how I'm supposed to treat people outside my family, then how much more does this apply to people within my family? How much better should I treat them than what Paul is saying that I ought to treat everybody in my life in moments of conflict and disagreement? So I'm just going to suggest to you that everything we're about to dig in together applies double if you're married to the person. So here we go. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, starting in verse 25. Here's what it says. Uh, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, 
for we are all members of one body, one family. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for the building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of, you ready, all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Now, guys, I think the key to having a great fight is how do you come to the fight. As a matter of fact, I think that gets addressed back in verse 26. Go there with me. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And the reality is, guys, we, when we get, to, we get there because we're frustrated about something. When something has pushed our buttons and we're beginning, we're beginning to feel that within our lives. But let me ask you a question. What if we could take anger out of the fight? Some of you go, well, what fun would that be? I mean, isn't that the whole point? I mean, isn't that, isn't that why you fight? No, 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 no. Remember, remember, remember the assassin fights to wound and to win. And the physician, who's not angry at all, he, he's fighting to heal and restore. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to suggest that, that one of the critical tipping points between the assassin and the physician is how they come to the fight emotionally. And the problem is most of the time you and I, when we come to a fight with our spouse, come there because we're just ticked off. We're worn out. See, here's, here's what happens. Whatever our spouse has done that bothers us, th this isn't the first time they've done it. it. It's happened over. It's been like Chinese water torture. And they've done it, and they've done it, and they've done it, and they've done it, and we've waited for them to stop, and we've waited for them to catch, and they've done it, and, they've, and we're, we're just done. And all of a sudden, our veins are popping, and our eyes are, and we're, in the love of Jesus. Don't we make this same mistake in parenting? Don't we sit there with our kids, and we've said to our kids, hey, don't do that, and you know, you're not allowed to, and they push it, and they push it, and they do it, and they over. And matter of fact, sometimes when they're doing it, they're watching to see what we're going to, and finally we just get so frustrated that we just explode on our kids, and we go after them. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that our worst parenting happens in moments of anger? And I'm going to say it's just so equally true that our worst moments with our spouse, with the times we've said things that we never should have said, there's moments when we behaved like we were five, and we did that when we were angry. And, and I'm just going to suggest to you right now that, that if you go to a fight angry, chances are you're the assassin. 
that you go to that moment just swinging the sword and saying, look, you've, you've done it, you've pushed me, I'm just going to inflict as much damage as I can, I'm going to wound you as deeply as I can, you're never going to try that again. And you and I, when we go to a fight in anger, go to win. And guys, here's the thing, here's the thing you got to get. If somebody's going to win the fight, then somebody has to lose the fight. And I'm just going to say that yesterday. Guys, guys, you and I, within our homes, with, his, with our children, with our, you and I can never fight to win. Because when you and I fight to win, it precludes the fact there has to be a loser. There has to be somebody left on the side of the road, wounded. And that's going to be your family member. That's going to be your child. That's going to be your spouse. That if you and I get this, we go, look, I, I can never go in as the assassin. I can never go to inflict harm and to, and to win. That's the heart of the assassin. That instead, <laughs> I have to go with the heart of the physician who says, look, I, I, this is all about healing and fixing and restoring, which means I will never, never, never cause any more harm than is necessary. I will, never, I will never say anything that is not needful. And I will not win. I'll fix and restore and heal. Which means, which means, you just got to know, anger has to be an uninvited guest to a good fight. So here's two things. Number one is, you've got, you've got to have the conversation before you get mad. So when the Chinese water torture starts, when, when they start doing the thing, and, and, and before you get pushed, or, you've got to go early to have the conversation, before you're steaming. The, the moment you begin to realize, hey, this is bothering me, and this is something that just feels broken in the relationship, and before I get angry about it, we've got to initiate the conversation. So you go early. You don't wait for your kid to disobey you 20 times. You go when they've disobeyed you once or twice. You don't wait till your spouse has ticked you out of your mind. You go when you first realize there's something wrong. Second part is, sometimes you won't, you, you'll get there before you know it. Sometimes you'll find yourself angry. You'll be, you'll be in that moment and you'll go, look, I am so ticked at you right now. I mean, we were in public and you said and there was, you promised and you broke. And I am just out of my mind. And in that moment, because anger has to be the uninvited guest, because anger always makes me the assassin, at that moment, you've got to push pause till you can be the physician. You've got to say, look, I... I this has got to get talked about. This has got to get dealt. But we're just not going to deal with it now because here's the deal. In anger, I will begin swinging my sword. In anger, I will say things that I should never say. And I refuse to be the assassin. I refuse to wound in my family. I choose to be the physician. I'm pushing pause. One of our staff people... <laughs> Came to me after the first hour and said, Lynn, I, just, I saw this. I saw this just the other day. We were at soccer. And this little girl came off the field. The game was over. And you could just see the dad standing there on the sideline seething. And he couldn't wait for her to take that first step off the field. And immediately he just lit in there. Just, you were the worst. And how did you not? And you're supposed to block it. Yeah. And just in front of everybody. And he said, I just wanted to say to that dad, push pause. 
You are saying things to your daughter. You are humiliating her in public. And I, there is nothing she could have possibly done on the field that's as important as the wounds and the scars that you're inflicting on her right now. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, anger, anger has to be an uninvited guest to a great fight because anger will always turn us into the assassin and never allow us to be the physician. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to go through four other things that this chapter, or this passage deals with and just say in that moment as it expresses this, am I more like the assassin in this moment or am I more like the physician in this moment? So here's what I'm gonna do. Uh, in the chair in front of you, there are pieces of paper. And I want you to grab a piece of paper, grab a pencil, grab a pen. I'd like for you to, if you could, if we can get through it, write down the four things, the four places that you and I have to choose to either be an assassin or a physician. Write those four things down as we go through. And then, here's what I'd like for you to do. I want you to do some self-evaluating. I want you just to be really, really honest with yourself. And say, hey, in this area of my life, in this area of conflict with my spouse and with my loved one, am I an assassin? And if you go, you know what? Truth is, I, I am. I, I fight to win. I swing the wound. Then just put an A. I'm an assassin in this area of fighting. If you say, no, no, you know what, I, in this particular area, I, I go for healing. I always go for the fix and to restore and to bring health. Then put a P for physician. And here's the deal, okay? Don't grade your spouse. Grade you, okay? This isn't about them. And don't look over at your spouse. This is, this is a moment for you and I to be able to just be honest with us and honest with God. Am I more like an assassin in this area? Am I more like a physician? when it comes to this area of conflict and fighting. So here we go, we're gonna go fairly quickly because we got a lot to unpack. So number one, area number one, go back to the passage, it's verse 25. Here's what it says. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one family. Number one is, guys, you got, you've got to keep this honest. You, you've got to keep truth front and center on this thing. And the problem is, is that when you and I go in like an assassin, when you and I are going, look, I'm going to win this thing and I'm going to get... You and I are deeply tempted to begin to manipulate the truth. See, we're not going to totally out and out lie. We're just, we're just going to leverage it a little bit. We're going to bend it a little bit to our advantage so I can win the argument. See, here's the deal. I guarantee you, one of the two of you, either the husband or the wife, one of you is a better arguer than the other. And you can win arguments even when you're wrong because you know how to strategically outflank your partner. You know how to manipulate and turn and twist, and you're just better on your feet. And you can win arguments you have no business winning. How many in here go, I'm the better? No, don't, I won't make you raise your hand. But you, you know what truth is? If you are, you probably know you are. You know you are. And chances are your spouse knows you are too. Like, I, I just can never win an argument with it. I mean, when this person is dead wrong, I can never win. And so here's the problem. You're kidding yourself and you're saying, look, 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 this is all about scoring points on the scoreboard. See, this is all about winning. And so every time you get the number, even when you've been decided, even when you've manipulated, when you pushed, you go, one another one. I'm so ahead in this relationship. Guys, if you're going to win, if you're going to manipulate, if you're going to twist and turn, then somebody has to lose. 
And what you're losing is this, that every time you do, every time you win an argument because you're better with words, you're faster on your feet, your spouse simply says, we're never going to get better. He's never going to hear me. She's never going to listen. And every time you win, what you lose is a piece of their heart. Because you're an assassin. Guys, think about this. Do you realize that every time you manipulate, every time, some of us, let's just be honest, some of us flat out lie. Some of us just lie in order to win. And you realize that when you do that, you take all the energy that ought to be about fixing and healing and restoring, and you divert it somewhere else. So stop and think about this. This is the problem. See, we're disagreeing about how to discipline the kids, or you know what, our schedules are so busy, we're not spending time together. Whatever that is, this is the problem. But now I'm blamed. See, now I'm lying. Now I'm manipulating. And what I've been able to do is convince my spouse that that's not really the problem. Because see, if that was really the problem, then I'd have to take some responsibility. So that's not the problem. And I've shifted it over here. And now I've got my spouse convinced that it's this. And so now all of our effort, all of our attention is fixing something that's not even the problem. So even if you get that done, nothing's healed. Can I get, that's dumb. Think about it, guys. Would you ever take your car to the auto mechanic and lie about what was wrong? I mean, think about this a minute. Your, your car is here. The real problem is my transmission is slipping. And you know, you know that that's probably going to be a lot of work and it's going to be expensive. So think about this. So you decide to lie. My transmission's fine. And you take your car to the auto mechanic and you go, you know what, uh, it's kind of having a hard time starting in the morning. I drive down the road and the lights are dim. And, and you do everything you can to divert from the real problem, to lie about the problem, and to get the mechanic to look somewhere else. The mechanic's going to work on your wiring. The mechanic's going to come back with a big old honking bill. And here's the crazy part. The transmission still stinks. Would you ever lie to me? No, it's, not, it's stupid. Why do you and I do that in our relationship? Why do we sit there and go, no, 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 no. That's not, it's not, and it wasn't, and I didn't, and no, you're wrong. And, and then we manipulate, and then we twist to win an argument. And do you get in that moment that you and I divert all the energy of the relationship to fixing something that's not broken. Do you get how expensive that is? And at the end of the day, you still got a slipping transmission. And if, if you do this, guys, you just need to know, you're an assassin. Because at the end of the day, you're more worried about winning than you are about fixing. What does the physician do? A physician goes to the heart of the problem. See, think about this. Think about if you had a gallbladder problem. You, you, you want that physician going, you know what, hey, uh, I don't think it's the gallbladder. We're just going to open you up. And we're just going to look around at everything in there. Now, you'd be saying, look, look, the problem's the gallbladder. Let's, let's make as small a cut as we can, and let's get to the problem. Which means, you guys ready for this? It requires painful 
truth. See, here's, here's what a physician does in a fight. You're right. I was completely selfish when I made that decision. We had talked about it and we had agreed and we said this is how we were going to handle it. And in the moment, in the moment I was doing it, I remembered the agreement and I blew past it. I didn't forget. It wasn't. I was selfish. Because in that moment of honesty, now we can fix what's really broken. And all the energy goes to that. Area number two. So number one, keep it honest. Area number two, keep it constructive. Let's go back to the passage. It's verse 28. Here's what it says. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. So apparently somebody in the church has been stealing some stuff, maybe even from members in the church, we don't know. So whoever's been stealing must steal no longer. Imagine if the passage stopped there. Oh, it stopped stealing. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I think I understood that. Thanks a lot. But the cool part about the passage, it goes on. Look at this. It goes, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. He must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. So he says, look, look, the guy who's been stealing, not only has got to stop stealing, he now needs to find gainful employment. He's got to find something to do that keeps him busy. Keep, but here's the deal. And then he's going to take a percentage of what he earns, and he's going to donate it to the poor so that he begins to understand what it's really like to be in need and not have. And suddenly... It's constructive. You realize you and I spend an awful lot of time in our arguments playing the blame game. Arguing about who is more percentage wrong than the other. See, look, I, you know, maybe so, but you're, you're 90%. No, 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 I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't done it first. See, all we're trying to do is establish who's the bigger idiot in the room. And I'm just going to tell you, it is absolutely unconstructed. There is, even if you can get your spouse to agree to the percentage of blame, nothing's fixed. There is nothing constructive in the blame game. Lisa and I, years ago, were driving, and uh, we were heading over to California, and we ended up uh, kind of taking some back roads, and as we were going along, Lisa looked down at the map and said, hey, Lynn, there's, a, there's this Highway 157, and it looks like if you and I take that, we're going to cut like a half an hour uh, off the, the journey. So let's, what, what you want to do that? And I said, well, that sounds cool because, you know, we'd see part of the road we'd never seen before. And let's do that. So we got to uh, 157, we thought, and uh, we took the right and started heading uh, down the road. Well, uh, you don't get going too far, and all of a sudden the road that was, gets narrower and uh, starts getting more out in the nothingnesses. And so finally, I'm certainly, I go, Lisa, are you sure? I mean, this, I, this just doesn't feel right. We weren't, I didn't think we were going to go into, you know, deliverance mode or anything here. I, this is just, do, 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 do. Yeah, yeah. 
And she goes, no, I think on the map, and I don't know. And we went, pretty soon we're going, I, I think we're lost. I think we're completely off track. And then ahead, we saw this sign, and you could clearly see on the sign, Highway 157 on the sign. And we went, oh, good, all right. So we're on the right path, we're going the right way. We got closer to the sign. You ready for what the sign said? You are not on Highway 157. <laughs> okay. All right, so what do I do with that? I mean, you clearly establish I'm a dummy. You clearly establish we went the wrong way. You clearly establish I'm at I mean, but now what do I do with that? I mean, all that sign needed was one more sentence that said, so turn around, or go a mile ahead and hit the... You are not on 157 is not constructive. And I'm just going to tell you that, that most of the conversations that we have in a fight are about establishing blame. See, we're just sitting there going, look, and you, and then you, and then and you're the worst, and I'm not as bad, and you Really? If your fighting is about a fixing percentage, of, you're an assassin. How much more powerful to prescribe Solution. See, you get, you, get, you get what the doctor does. The doctor says, look, here's where we find ourselves now. Let me, let me speak to you words of healing. Let me tell you how to get from where we are to get to something healthy. How many times in, how many times in army you go, you never spend any time with me. You realize you're going to spend the next hour arguing about the definition of Never. You always put me down. You never say anything good about me. It's always what I fail at. What do you do with that? Where, do you, where, is, where is healthy from there? How much more powerful? How much more powerful within the conversation to say, look, I am not gonna, I'm not going to put anything out there that I don't offer a prescription for, a fix for. How much more powerful for a wife to say to her husband, hey, I, I just got to be honest, I, I, I don't feel like we're spending time together. Would you consider us having a date night every two weeks? And all of a sudden, the husband goes, I, I could do that. I, I thought this was going to be something crazy and outrageous and unrealistic. I could do that. How powerful for a husband to say to a wife, I so desperately want to hear from you what I'm doing right. Would you, would you, just, would you just consider trying to tell me at least twice what I've done well for every time you tell me what I failed at? And I got a feeling most wives would say, I could do that. See, I'm, I'm describing where health is from here. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to blame. I'm not trying to, I want to get healthy from here. Okay? So number one is keep it honest. Number two is be constructive. Number three, keep it kind. Let's go verse 29 real quick. Verse 29. 
Here's what it says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful, ready, for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Do you realize how often in our anger we say stuff? Man, we call names. We curse at each other. I mean, think about this. If, if you're so angry that you are calling names and you are cursing at your spouse, tell me that that has anything but wounding on it. Tell me that that has any form of healing. Matter of fact, uh, if you missed the marriage conference we just did the last, I mean, you missed, and I thought one of the most powerful things Mark talked about, he says, guys, husband, you curse at your wife? Really? I mean, think about this, guys. Men, sometimes we say things to our wives that if any other man in the world said that to our wives, we would beat the tar out of him. And then here is the man who is supposed to love her, who's supposed to protect her and care for her, and we say those things. How crazy is that? You are an assassin. Ladies, if your son got married one day and you watched his wife say to him the things that you say to your husband, That woman would be in a cat fight, wouldn't she? she you, you wouldn't let anybody wound your son like that. And yet the very man who is hoping to hear words of admiration and praise out of you, and we're cursing. And guys, you get this. You get that words are powerful. Whoever the idiot was who said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, was an idiot. <laughs> That's stupid. Throw a rock at me, man. Just. I'm in sixth grade. And uh, our classroom was a portable outside, and so I'm standing on the ramp. A couple of the other kids are waiting to get in, and teacher hadn't come to unlock the door yet, and one of the guys uh, standing there on the ramp, uh, his name was Greg, said something really vicious to me. Called me a name that no little sixth grade boy would ever want to be called. And I think the other guy standing on the ramp saw my face, saw that it wounded me pretty deeply, and so they did what sixth grade boys do, and they all joined in. So now it's five on one, and they are relentless. I remember, I remember running home, and when my mom got home that day, I said, Mom, I, I am never going back to that school. And Mom did the whole teacher's thing, and I, can I tell you, that was 40 years ago, and I can still tell you the words they said. Some of us are assassins that we're swinging to win, and you and I are saying things, and we're creating wounds because we're going to win the fight. And we are inflicting wounds that will be remembered in order to win. What does a physician do? A physician says only the truth and only what's necessary 
to begin the healing. So a physician says stuff like this, hey, uh, you know, when, when you said that uh, in front of our friends, man, that, you came across really selfish. And here's the thing, I know you're not selfish, but boy, it really looked that way. If you keep pushing our son, if you keep riding, you're going to lose our son. And the crazy part is, he admires you so deeply that one word of praise out of you would fill his heart. See, a physician uses his words to heal, not to wound. Last one, super, super quick. Clean up the mess. Clean up the mess. Let's go back to the passage. Here's what it says, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. And here's what happens to… See, when an assassin gets done, he leaves the bodies. And some of us, when we get done fighting and it's got a little out of hand and things were said or things were done and, it was, and, and we just leave the bodies, we go, oh, okay. And, and, and something in our heart, something there says, hey, it, it's, not, it's not quite finished yet. We haven't quite cleaned it up yet. And you get that whatever you leave unclean, whatever you leave undone after a fight, even a good fight, will begin to rot if you don't clean it up. Lisa and I are brand new married and we're in this little apartment, that, it was a horrible apartment the church gave us. And... <sighs> no, you want to see, wait to see what the church calls a parsonage. And uh, uh, we hadn't been there very long and Lisa opens this drawer one morning, it's, she had to get up like at five in the morning so it's pitch black, I'm still trying to sleep, and this rat <laughs> leaps out of the drawer like right at her face. My wife then made a request and said, Lynn, I'd like for us to get rid of the rat, but it wasn't quite as requestful. And uh, <laughs> so I did. I called the exterminator. He came and he said, look, I'm, I'm going to put poison out for the rat and we'll get the rat. And apparently the poison worked uh, because a couple weeks later we began to smell the rat. And so we began to search around and say, you know, apparently he's eaten the poison, died and crawled up somewhere and we can't find the rat. The only thing we can figure out for sure is the rat's in the kitchen. And so you'd go in there to cook and prepare, and, and you'd have rotten rat. <laughs> Pretty soon it started getting so bad that we uh, started closing the kitchen door all the time. And uh, we, every once in a while you'd make an excursion back in the kitchen and you'd try to find the rat. And we cleaned out all the cupboards and we moved everything in the kitchen and you can't find the rat. And so we decided, well, maybe the rat crawled in the wall and died and that's why you can't find the rat. And it gets worse. You can't go in our apartment. You can't go in there. It's just vile, rotting flesh smell. Horrible. And so we go back in the... And he, finally, we call the exterminator back and say, look, you, this is killing... You can't even live in our apartment anymore. The rat is so rancid. And so he comes in and he takes all the stuff out of all the covers. You know where they found the rat? The rat, in the process of dying had gone behind the refrigerator, crawled up on the top of the motor in the refrigerator, and died there. 
So the motor, being warm, was slowly cooking the putrefied rat. <laughs> hey guys, you have a fight, and it doesn't end with cleaning up the mess? If you just leave the bodies laying around, you're an assassin. And, and the rancid smell of the undone thing at the end of the fight, which is simply this, are we okay? I know I got a little carried away. Will you forgive me? I know I said something I should have never said. Would I'm sorry, and I, I need you to forgive me. See, a physician would never leave a wound dirty, would they? And yet you and I leave fights with bodies all the time. Okay, so here they are. Keep it honest. Keep it constructive. Keep it kind. Clean up the mess. Here's what someone asks us to do. Be honest about our A's. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you didn't leave us in the dark about this conversation. And I'm just going to pray in this room that, that we would be brutally honest with ourselves and that we would, we would look and say, I, I really am. I'm, I'm more like an assassin in the way that I fight. I, it, it's, to me, it's been about winning, and that's, that's just what I thought it was. And I, I've taken no prisoners, and I've been willing to wound And God, I'm just going to ask that you would so convict our hearts today that assassins would become physicians. That they would say, look, I, I'm no longer going to fight to win. I'm going to fight to heal and to restore and to build into my relationship. I want to be a great fighter. In Jesus' name, amen.